hope you have your Bibles. I want to encourage you to find your place in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2. If you're our guest today, we have been, over these past couple of weeks, dealing with this topic, living with biblical clarity. Uh, It doesn't take very long uh, to live in the world that we live in and to see that, uh, boy, this, this country, the culture that we're living in, it doesn't resemble the Bible hardly at all. It is vastly different. And for us as born-again children of God, we have got to make a decision on whether or not we're going to live through the lenses of biblical clarity or are we going to fall in line with the culture. And we've been using the book of Acts uh, to really look at this topic of biblical clarity. And in doing so, again, if you're our guest today, we've just been talking about Uh, The mission of the church. We remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave the church its mission. He says, you're going to receive power from on high and you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. You're going to go over all the world and you're going to be the witness of my life. And then Jesus said, I'm going to give you the promise. I'm going to give you a comforter. And so Jesus made a promise to the apostles, to the disciples. He made a promise to them and said he was going to give them the help that they need to carry out this witness. And we see that we're a product of that. We're a product of the witness of the apostles and the disciples. Churches are meeting all across the world today on a Sunday, the first day of the week, just as the scripture says. And they are preaching the wonderful word of God with the intention of being the witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah He is who he says he is, and he has done what he says he's done. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on Calvary's cross, cross, rose again on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And as Jesus in Acts chapter 1 told the uh, apostles, he said, Go back to Jerusalem and wait for me. I'm going to send the comforter to you then. And then we get into Acts chapter 2, where some scholars say between 7 and 10 days uh, occurred... And they were in the upper room praying every day for God to fulfill his promise. And there was no, it wasn't happening. I mean, it just it, day after day after day, it wasn't happening. And then the day of Pentecost came. Pentecost means 50. It means 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost. And when Pentecost came, the Bible tells us, as we studied last week, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled that upper room. And the Bible says Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, did everything in his power to try to describe what he saw. And he says not only was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, he said it looks like there was fire resting upon the apostles' lives, on their heads. It sat down upon them. and Man, those preachers were on fire. And they began to speak in the different languages that was there in Jerusalem. Now here's fascinating. What's fascinating is there were all different kinds of people in Jerusalem. In fact, when you look at Acts chapter 2, the Bible lists a whole bunch of different names, different places. And they were all in Jerusalem for Passover. And so when the Holy Spirit came and it landed on the apostles and the disciples, Jesus kept his promise and gave that to them. They started preaching, the Bible says, the wonderful works of God. That's what the scripture says. That's what they preach. We talked about that last week. If you didn't get that message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. The wonderful works of God is what they were preaching. Well, what are the wonderful works of God? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. That's the wonderful works of God. That God wants a relationship with us. And he provided that relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as that, those wonderful works were being preached in the languages that were all in Jerusalem. There were all these different uh, people there that spoke these different languages. But not just different languages. It was different dialects. And the Bible says that they heard the wonderful works of God in their own dialect, in their own language. Which means if you were from southern Jerusalem, you heard it with the southern slang. If you were in northern Jerusalem, you heard it with the northern slang. They heard exactly the wonderful works of God so clearly that everybody could understand it. This was a mighty work of God. And the Bible says those that heard it were confounded. They were bewildered. They were amazed. They could not believe. Some even doubted, the Bible says. And by the end of it, they were all asking the same question. Are these people drunk? That's the truth. Look at what the Bible says. Chapter number 2, verse 12. Notice what the scripture says. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What does this mean? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They ain't nothing but a bunch of drunks. They're all from Galilee anyways. A bunch of fishermen. They smell like fish, stink, and alcohol. they just a bunch of drunks. The problem was, is there was no fish smell, and there was no alcohol smell. These guys had been in the presence of the Lord, and Jesus had kept his promise and filled them with the Holy Spirit. So finally, in chapter 2, Peter stands up and does what we know in this text as preached his very first sermon. This is Peter's first sermon. And I've entitled the message this morning, A Transforming Sermon. Because Peter preached in such a way for transformation. And the preaching that Peter did on that day is still practiced today. As a matter of fact, some believe, and I believe this as a matter of fact, that the outline of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, this transforming sermon, is the model sermon that many of the sermons you hear at Maysville Baptist Church is based upon. It has an introduction. Three points and a conclusion. And it's very fascinating how it flows throughout the course of this text. And what I'm so delighted to report to you that at the end of this sermon, the Bible says 3,000 people gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And this same invitation that was given all these years ago in the Word of God is still given today. And will be given at the end of this sermon one more time. It's the same invitation that... Those that got baptized today, there were three that got baptized. How did they receive Christ as Savior? They were given an invitation. It's the same invitation that those ten students this weekend uh, received when they asked Jesus to save their souls, and those ten souls got gloriously saved. It's the same invitation that was extended during this 9.30 hour where three other individuals came up after service and said, you know what, we want to be baptized too. We've been saved, but we've never been baptized, and they surrender for baptism. I'm telling you, there's something about an invitation. Can I tell you what that something is? It's biblical. It's biblical. We we, uh, uh, have, have racked our brains in society today Figuring out what can transform an individual. I'll tell you what can transform an individual. Jesus. And you'll never see transformation if you don't invite people 
to come and give their life to Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm sharing with you up front here before I begin. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message that God uh, has laid on my heart that comes just directly out of the Word of God. And my hope is the same as Peter's, that you will be transformed by the preaching of the Word of God. So we noticed here in this passage of Scripture, Peter's sermon. Let me show it to you if I could. We find, first of all, an, an, inv- uh, 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 an introduction. Excuse me, an introduction. That's verse number 14. Verse 14 is the introduction. Notice how he introduces this. Remember, the question is, are these people drunk? He says here in the text. Now Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. So this is an introduction, and he just simply says this. Listen to me very carefully. It's much like an invitation or an introduction I might give to you. Let me give you an example. Have you ever experienced uh, uh, something in your life where you've witnessed something and you said, that guy's got to be drunk? You ever had that happen in your life? Well, it it happened to me many years ago when I was uh, in high school. I worked at Kmart. How many of you remember Kmart? Yeah, the, yellow, the, the little red vest, I had the whole nine yards. I was the electronics guy, Danny. You, you, wanted, your, uh, you wanted your pictures developed? I'm your man. Or, or if you wanted to buy a new TV, right here it is. Back in the day, we had the best line of Walkmans you could ever, ever believe. For those of you who don't know what a Walkman is, ask your mom and daddy. I'm telling you what, it was tremendous. I could sell you anything, but I love the summertime, and I'll tell you why. During the summer, they moved me out of the electronics department into the garden center. Oh, I love the garden center. Number one, I was outside. Number two, I could wear shorts. Praise God. I still had to wear the red vest, but I I could wear shorts out there in the garden center. And I loved working out there. And I can remember one day, it was a real slow day. I was standing out there by the register. I'd already done my inventory. I'd already taken care of everything. And I was just standing. I looked inside the store. Now, the store had these windows that were one way. That is to say, I could look into the store, but they didn't see me looking into the store. So um, I'm sitting there, and I'm just looking into the store and looking down the aisles. And this gentleman turns the corner in one of the aisles, Tom, and as he goes down the aisle, he turns and he starts taking tools off the shelf and putting them in his shirt. And then he starts putting them in his britches. And so he's shoplifting, and I'm witnessing it. And so my heart starts beating fast because all of a sudden I go into James Bond mode. I'm going to catch this guy. And so I reach over and I call for the security code, code whatever, I can't even remember what the code was. I called it over the intercom and I just stood and watched it. Oh, we're going to get him. This is going to be good. And sure enough, they rounded the corner and when the guy saw the security team, he turned and he bolted. He started running. And guess where he ran to? The garden center. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to be fun. I'm going to roll off the counter. I'm going to do a tumble. I'm going to uppercut this guy and sweep him with my leg. He's going to fall down. I'm going to be the hero. I got it. That's what it looked like in my mind. But let me tell you what really happened. As he come running through the door, all of a sudden, he's sprinting, and my heart's racing so fast I froze, but I knew I had to do something. So as he rounded the corner of my register, I threw my leg out like that right there. 
I kegged him up, and he did fall on the floor. Inside, I was shouting for joy. I got him, I got him, I got him. They took him. The police came. It was a big deal. I was so happy and so excited. I finally stopped a shoplifter. I got employee of the month. (laughs) And then I found out why that guy did what he did. I really thought he was drunk. I thought, man, he's come in here drunk. That wasn't the case. Come to find out, the man was down on his luck. And it was confirmed that he was stealing, not just from Kmart, but from Walmart and other stores in the area. He was taking them to the local pawn shop. He was selling them or getting a pawn off of them. And then he was going to buy food for his family. He was having a hard time finding a job. It really wasn't what I thought it was. That's exactly what Peter's about to say here to these men. He says, listen, this isn't what you think it is. And as a matter of fact, after he gives the introduction, he gives his very first point. The first point I want you to notice here in this text is the explanation. He gives them an explanation. In verses 15 through 21, we see the explanation that Peter gives. And in this explanation, we see that he says there are two reasons why these men are not drunk. Two reasons why they're not drunk. Number one, the first one is the time of day. Look at what the Bible says. The scripture tells us here in Acts chapter number 2 verse 15. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. If you're wondering what time is the third hour, the third hour is 9 o'clock a.m. So he says they're not drunk because it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, in our culture... There are plenty of drunks out at 9 o'clock. You don't say amen right there, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. In this culture, they were not. They did not drink that early. They weren't uh, participating in drunkenness that early. And so he says the very first reason you need to understand that these men are not drunk is because it's 9 o'clock a.m. in the morning. And that's very important for you to understand because none of these men are full of new wine. And then number two, the second reason why he says is not only the time of day, but the time of prophecy. The time of prophecy. You see what he says next? Notice what the scripture says. He says, and it shall come to pass, or excuse me, in verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, Joel had something to say about this. This is a partial fulfillment of what Joel said in Joel chapter 2. Well, what did Joel say in chapter 2 of Joel 2? Well, he tells us right there in the text. In fact, he says two things that are vitally important, important for us to take away. The first is found in verse 17. And it came to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Right there, stop. I would underline that because this is the partial fulfillment of what happened in Joel chapter 2. Joel said that there's coming a day where the Spirit of God will be poured out upon the, on all flesh. That happened at the day of Pentecost. God kept His promise. He poured out His Spirit to those individuals. And listen, it was not just to those individuals. Everybody heard it. The Scripture says that it was noise abroad. Everybody heard what was taking place. As a matter of fact, when you read Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, the first part of chapter 2, you'll find that there's 120 people in that upper room When the Holy Spirit came, the Bible says it came upon everybody in that room. And the Bible says that the sound was so great that not only that those that were in the room heard it, everybody heard it. Jerusalem heard the rush of the mighty wind. 
And they witnessed what Luke says is it looked like there was fire sitting down upon their heads. And they all heard in their own language the wonderful works of God. So everybody heard. Dear brothers and sisters, listen to me very carefully. Everybody in this room will hear this message. The question is, will you let the message get inside of you? And so he says here in the text, he says, Joel said that he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And then notice verse 19. The scripture says, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. That's the second thing. He says, this has been fulfilled today. We're seeing these wonderful things happen in heaven and also on earth. What's he referring to? What has just taken place? Seven to ten days earlier, the ascension happened. Everybody knows in Jerusalem that Jesus had ascended and went up into heaven. They're talking about it. And they cannot believe it. They are amazed by it. And they're just absolutely confounded by it. And we find that uh, what Peter does is he points back to Joel and he says, Joel said it. Joel said that these wonders would happen in heaven and also on earth as you're hearing the wonderful works of God in your own language. He gives them this explanation. And then he moves on to a second point. The second point that he gives them is his exposition. His exposition. Now, what is an exposition? You have an expository pastor. He preaches expositionally. That is to say, the word exposition is where we get uh, the English term to expose. It means to lay out in front of you. All I'm wanting to do is lay out the Word of God in front of you and let the Holy Spirit that was there on that day deal in your heart, in your life, and change you because this right here is still relevant. Amen? You believe the Bible's still, still relevant? A lot of people say it's archaic. Man, I'm telling you what, we've been educated far beyond our own intelligence. Bless God, we think we're so smart. I mean, you think about it. We got these individuals in our day called meteorologists. Now, I'm grateful for them. Don't get me wrong. I think that is a great job to have, a meteorologist. Every day, a meteorologist gives what he calls a forecast. A forecast is nothing more than a prediction. Where else could you get paid to look at maps and weathers and predict where the weather's going to hit? And many of us can testify to the fact there have been times when a meteorologist said this was going to happen, but bless God, that happened. And what they said happened didn't happen. And we're all left scratching our head. You don't believe me? Wait till the next hurricane season hits. When the next hurricane season hits, when they say, oh, here, we've got our first hurricane. It's um, Hurricane Andrew. Andrew is going to come around, and Andrew is going to hit here, 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 or here, 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 or here, 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 here. And you see this map, and it's got 15 lines on it. Well, which one is it? Well, this model says it's going to hit here, but we're not sure. This model says it's going to hit here, but we're not sure. This model says it's... You mean to tell me we live in the 21st century? We've got more technology in our cell phones than they had on the space shuttle. And we can't say where a hurricane's going to hit yet? What is wrong with us? I'll tell you. We don't know for certain what's going to happen. We don't know for certain. Well, we're not going to know until it hits. As a matter of fact, we have got to the place where we can't even tell you when springtime's going to get here. <laughs> Big news today. Ponsatani Phil did not see his shadow. He says we're going to have an early spring. And he didn't even do a good job of predicting it today. The guy had to poke him and said, go over there to spring, go to spring. 
Ma'am, sir, listen, there's only one thing that's for certain. And that is the fact that death occurs to everybody. Peter knew that. And while I'm being a little bit facetious here, I'm being very serious on this fact. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. There's been an appointment that Shane has with death. And one day I'll keep that appointment unless the Lord calls me up in the rapture. You have an appointment with death. Jesus even had an appointment with death. And we find here in the text, he says, listen, in regards to who Jesus is, he says, I want to expose who Jesus really is. And he's going to spend these next verses, verses 22 through 36, saying this. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And remember, there are all different kinds of people from all different areas here. There are people from Capernaum. There are individuals from Judea. There are individuals there that live in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, There are those that live in Galilee. There are those that are from Bethlehem. And there's no doubt those that also are in in the city of Nain, in the surrounding areas. And he says here, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he says, I want to give you three proofs of his Messiahship. Three proofs. So he's going to expose the three proofs that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Let me show them to you. The first one is this. The works of Jesus Christ. The works of Jesus Christ. He says, think about the works of Jesus. Look at what he says in verse number 22. Uh, He goes on to say here in the text. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. By miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know. You see what he's doing here? He's drawing them into the fact that they saw some of these miracles. They saw some of these wonders. They saw some of these signs. And he says, Jesus did this in front of you. I wonder when he mentioned that word miracles, I wonder had he alluded, maybe he would have said... Some of you here that are listening to this sermon are from Nain. And you remember what Jesus did in the city of Nain. Jesus was walking in the city of Nain one day, and he looked, and coming up the road was a funeral procession. And as that funeral procession made its way up the road, Jesus came up and noticed that the woman was burying her son, and her son was the only son that she had. She was a widow, and Jesus stopped the funeral procession, put his hand on the casket, turned to the mother and said, don't cry. Can you imagine the shock on the mother's face when she, don't cry. This is my only child. My husband died several years ago, and you don't want me to cry? Jesus said, no, don't cry. You can get up now. And the man comes up. Can you imagine what, Can you imagine being the pallbearer, and you're toting this guy, and this man stops you, and, Jesus says it's time to get up, and you look over to the right, and the man you're toting is sitting there going, Hey, boys, how y'all doing? Did you miss me? Some of you were there, and you saw this miracle, and the Bible tells us that they talked about it. The Bible says, man, as they talked about this miracle found over in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 18, they said, God is definitely in this place. And then maybe he turned and said this, not not only some of you saw his miracles, but what if Peter said, some of you have saw his wonders? See, miracles are supernatural events that take place. 
Wonders are those events that take place that we witness that, you know, we take a step back and go, hmm, that is very interesting. And I wonder when he got to the miracles part, I wonder if he turned to, maybe turned to Luke uh, and said, Luke, you remember the time when Jesus was walking by us when he called us into ministry and Jesus was standing by the sea there and as he was standing by the sea of Gerasset, he was preaching and remember all that large crowd that was there and we'd been fishing all night and, and we were so tired, we were tired and we didn't want to fish anymore and we were listening to Jesus and Jesus turned to us and said, get in the boat and let's launch out into the deep. And we launched out in the deep and as Jesus was out there preaching and telling us about his messiahship, when he was all done, he said, you boys ready to go fishing? And you remember what you said, Luke? And Luke said, yeah, I remember exactly what I said. I said, ain't going to do it. I'm tired. Been fishing all night. Didn't get anything. Just don't want to do it. But because you asked, I'm going to prove to you there ain't no fish in this water. And so they let the nets down. And all of a sudden, it was so heavy that Luke had to turn and say, Hey, you boys, get over there and get them boats and bring them back over here. There's so many fish in here. We need help. We can't pick up the net. You remember that? I remember that. Some of you, Peter said, remember that. You were there that day. Look at what the text says. Look, look, watch what the scripture says. Verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. Miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. You witness these signs. Or you witness these miracles. You witness these wonders. And then he said, you also witness the signs. Now what in the world is a sign? If a wonder is different than a sign, and a sign is different than a wonder, or, or a wonder is different than a miracle, then what is a sign? A sign is an act, and it's act or words which serves as credentials that prove Jesus is who he is. So he's about to show his credentials here. Maybe, maybe Peter was talking about Mark chapter number 1, verses 23 through 28. It was at that narrative... There in Mark, where Jesus is in the temple and he's preaching. And he's revealing who he is. And as Jesus reveals who he is, there's a man in there that's possessed with a demon that stands up and walks up to Jesus and he says, What are you going to do with us? I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. He says this, Are you here to annihilate us? And Jesus looks at that demon and says, get out. And the Bible says immediately the man started convulging. And the demon left that man's body. And as the man stood up, stood up, all the church said, surely God's presence is in that man. He showed forth, Larry, his credentials. And Peter says, some of you saw the miracles, some of you saw the wonders, and some of you saw the signs, the works of Jesus Christ. He says, but that's not all. There's a second thing you also notice. You not only notice the works of Jesus, but you also notice, number two, the resurrection of Jesus. Look at what the scripture says. Follow along with me. Here he says, the resurrection of Jesus, verses 23 through 32. 
In verses 23, he goes on to say, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He, do you see what he's doing here? Peter's appealing to his heart. He's saying, you're the ones that saw the miracles. You're the ones that saw the wonders. You're the ones that saw the signs. And you still crucified Jesus. He's making an appeal to their heart. Brothers and sisters, it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. And as he appeals to their heart, he wants to make sure that they understand. Jesus died... On behalf of us. But he didn't stay dead. In fact, he gets so excited, he can't even, he can't tell the rest of the story. Look at what he says in verse number 24. He says, Whom God raised up, having loosed pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I get a little bit of exci- excited, you know. And I talk about death, and I talk about death even chased Jesus and got a hold of him, but he didn't know what to do once it got a hold of him. It could only hold him about three days. And then, bless God, it had to turn loose. That's where Peter was in the sermon. He was so excited. He said, Death got a hold of Jesus, but in three days... Up from the grave, he arose because death could not hold Jesus. He says here in the text, he says, the resurrection of Jesus, he truly came back from the dead. Now, watch this. This is incredible. Peter could have turned and said, Matthew, tell him about the resurrection. Or he could have said, Mark, you wrote about it. Tell him about the resurrection. Peter could have said, Luke, tell him about the resurrection. Peter could have said, John, tell him about the resurrection. But that's not what he did. Did you see what he did? He said, David, tell these people about the resurrection. David, yeah, look at what the scripture says. The Bible says in verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thine holy name to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, that uh, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, he says in verse 29, Let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he both is dead and buried, and he's in his grave, and yet he is saying to us today, Therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that by the fruits of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Jesus Christ to sit at his right hand, to sit at his throne. He's seeing this before, speak resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, David spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. David, the patriarch. Oh, brothers and sisters, if David, the patriarch, would speak of the wondrous words of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then surely these Jews would be pricked in their heart, if you would, to say, wait a minute, David did speak about that. David spoke about the resurrection Of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse number 31 that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Brothers and sisters, where is David right now? David is with the Lord. So, what does it mean that his body is there in the tomb? It means that when you die, your body goes in the ground, but your soul's gonna go somewhere. 
Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? David clearly understood this. You remember when David and Bathsheba had sinned? And uh, man, that was a horrible, horrible incident. And there Bathsheba got pregnant and David was so upset because... David had killed a man, and the Bible talks about David's sin. It said his bones were aching. I mean, he was eat up with guilt. And he got right with God, but God had already sent judgment. The baby that Bathsheba was pregnant with is going to die. And David laid on the ground, and he prayed, and he begged, and he asked God, Please, don't kill the baby. Don't kill the baby. Would you heal the baby? And the baby ended up dying. And after the death, of that baby, he got up out of the sackcloth and ashes. He went over and he took a shower and he said, "Let's get something to eat." And he started eating and was happy. And the and the people around him were perplexed. They said, "You about the craziest person I've ever seen, David." That baby was dying, and you were down in the dumps weeping. And now that the baby's dead, you're all happy. What is your problem? And the prophet David, Judy, said this. I can't bring that baby back to me. But I can go to where that baby is. What was David saying? David was saying, I see down through the corridors of time. And I see the Messiah's coming. And the coming of the Messiah is not to liberate us from Rome but to liberate us from sin. And that liberation will connect us back to God. That where my son, where my child is, that's where I'm going to be. Because I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrection of Jesus, the works of Jesus. And then watch Peter. He's He's fixing to close out. There's only three points to this message. We're still on point two. But here's the third proof of Jesus being the Messiah. The outpouring of Jesus Christ. The outpouring of Jesus. What do you mean? Look at what the Bible says in verse 33. See the text. Notice what it says. Therefore, because Jesus Christ is risen, therefore, being by, by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. What you're seeing and hearing, is the outpouring of Jesus Christ. That term outpouring is uh, the English equivalent of keeping a promise. What you're seeing now is Jesus Christ keeping his promise by giving us the Holy Spirit. That's what you're seeing right now, he says. So you think about it. These men have just heard a message. And the second point was exposing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He says, you all that are here listening to this sermon have seen the wonderful works of God. And you know and hear and have been told about the resurrection. As a matter of fact, 500 people saw Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Some of you even seen him. And today you're witnessing the outpouring of Jesus Christ as he kept his promise and given us the Holy Spirit. And he says, David testified to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and would rise again. Therefore, notice verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Well, there's his exposition. We talked about his, uh, the first part of his example or his explanation. But let me show you number three. Here's the third point, the ending. The ending. We find the ending here in this passage of Scripture in verses 37 through 41. The Scripture says, now when they heard this, notice this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now that word brethren there, when you read the Gospels and you read the letters of Paul, he used that term brethren in a reference to you and our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This term brethren means they're all Jews. He says, listen, you Jewish brothers and sisters, brethren is brothers and sisters. He says, brothers and sisters, our question for you is this. What do we do now? What do we do now? If it was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross, if it was our sin that nailed him to the cross, if he died for me, was buried, he rose again, ascended up into heaven, kept his promise and sent uh, the Holy Spirit. And I'm hearing this in my own language. What do I do now? And Peter simply says, you do two things. Here it is. Number one, repent. Notice what the scripture says. Then Peter said to them, repent. Now let's stop right there. Don't hit the conjunction and yet. Make sure you clearly understand what repentance is because this term repentance sums up everything about coming to Jesus Christ. Just like these guys did. They recognized that they were sinners. It was their sin that put Jesus on the cross. Jesus was the Messiah. He proved himself to be the Messiah. They clearly understood this. And so their response is, what do we do now? And Peter says, repent. That is to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the Messiah Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Trust him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Obey the scriptures. Do as uh, the scripture says. Confess the Lord Jesus and be saved. And, he says, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, take your pens and circle that word for Because when we think of the word for in English, we think that it is a requirement for salvation. The only problem with that is nowhere in Peter's sermons, in all the rest of Peter's sermons, nowhere did he ever mention this again. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why did Peter use the word for here and uh, didn't use it in the other ones? Well, because what we define for as is different than the way they define for as In the New Testament. The Greek word here, uh, this word for, means on account of. On account of. Be baptized on account of you've repented. You see that? That's what he's saying. He says the reason why you're baptized is because you've been saved. You don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you're saved. So we find here in the text he says... That Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, because your sins have been forgiven. That's, That's what he says here in the text. Because your sins have been forgiven, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy 
Ghost. When did I get the Holy Ghost? March 22nd, 1988. I knelt down as a 14-year-old boy. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I was baptized in the Spirit. I was filled with the Spirit. I went down a center and came up, bless God, saved. Three months later, I got brave enough to be baptized. What was that baptism experience? It was an outward show of an inward change. I'm done. I'm closing after this. I'm closing up my Bible. I close with this closing illustration. When I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and got saved, three months later, I surrendered for baptism. As I surrendered for baptism, I got in the pool and I can remember... Uh, my pastor, I, I had two pastors growing up. I had uh, Philip Ellen and Bruce Word. Uh, Bruce Word's son texts me every Saturday night he, to tell me he's praying for me. And thank you, Christopher. You're such a dear brother. I'm praying for you too. And when he baptized me, when Bruce, his daddy, baptized me, he said, and this is where I got it. This is... Where, where, when I baptized people, this I got it from Bruce. I'm just going to be honest, from my pastor. And he got it from the Word of God. The Scripture says, In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and upon your public profession of your faith in Him, I baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of His death, Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism has always been the key to identifying who you are. Today I stand before you with a ring on my left hand. It's on my ring finger on my left hand. Everybody in this place, unless you're a toddler or a child, you all know what that means. It means that I'm married. Did you know that if I was to go to another culture, I'd have to put it on my right hand? When I was in the Ukraine, they asked me if I was divorced. I said, are you kidding me? Look at this. I've got a ring on my finger. They said, that's why we're asking you. If you're married, you ought to have it on your right hand. <laughs> so who's right? Both of us. We're just different. It's a term of identification is the point. You're identifying that I'm married. Same thing with the baptism. When you're baptized, you're identifying to the fact that you are a born-again child of God. You are saved. Now, there are a couple different types of people in this congregation this morning. There are some of you that are here that were baptized, and then you got saved. Your baptism is out of order. You need to get that fixed. You need to be baptized properly. The Bible says those that were saved were gladly baptized. Repent, then comes baptism. Why? Because you're identifying that you repented and trusted Christ as Savior. Then there's those others here that are here today that have never been baptized because you've never been saved. You've never been baptized because you've never been saved. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. And today you can be saved if you would repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then there's a third category over here, if you would. And those are individuals that have been saved. And for whatever reason, you have never been baptized. As a matter of fact, there's been so much time in between your salvation and your baptism, you're embarrassed. And you don't want to do it because you're afraid people say, man, I, I thought they were baptized a long time ago. And what's sad is we allow our thinking to, to dictate our joy. 
And the Bible tells us very clearly in this passage of Scripture, the outcome of this, 3,000 people surrendered their life and they got saved. And then the Bible doesn't tell us when they got baptized. But in regards to that, they were because those that were saved were gladly baptized. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Who are you? You know, we, we talk about who's your one. I want to know who are you. Are, are you that person that has been saved but you've never been baptized? Are you that individual that uh, maybe you've, you have just never been saved and never been baptized at all? Or are you that individual that got it mixed up and you were baptized and you were saved? And you need to get that in order. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to live with biblical clarity, we need to heed the word of a transforming sermon. And transform ourselves into the image of Christ. If Jesus Christ thought it important to be baptized, so too we must find it important. Essential for salvation? No. Essential for identification? Yes. Very much so. It's important to identify who you are. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed, maybe you're here today. and Maybe you've never trusted Christ. You've never had the free pardon of sin. You've never asked Jesus to save you. Maybe you've been struggling with that and you want to do that. You know it to be true. You know Jesus is who he says he is. Why not today? The Bible says today's the day of salvation. If you would like to repent today, would you say this to the Lord? Would you say from your heart to God's? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to save me. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now, with our heads back.